Have you ever wondered how a song is made? How it starts? What happens during the recording process? How does an idea become that beautiful three-minute thing you hear on the radio? My name is Emmeline, and in Journey of a Song, I take you on a tour of a musician's creative process, from the very first notes to the final, fully produced progression. As a singer-songwriter and an independent recording artist, I am intimately familiar with the magic of music creation, but I also know that each song has its own sacred story. Each week, I'll be talking to a different songwriter as they pull back the curtain on a favorite composition, beginning with the acoustic version of the song and ending with the final recorded product. In between, you'll hear a conversation about the inspiration behind the song, the decisions made in the recording booth, and the many ways in which music reflects and informs our emotions and our lives. This week, my guest is the phenomenal Quincy Forte. A mainstay of the Dallas music scene, Quincy has played with bands like Chasing February, Ducato Vega, and Bloodrich, but the pandemic gave him a chance to dive more deeply into his solo music. He's here today to talk about his new song, Paranormal. Welcome back to Journey of a Song. I'm your host, Emmeline, and I am so excited for today's episode because we are featuring Quincy Forte. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. It's so good to see your face. Yeah, I I feel the same way. Uh, although I stalk you on on Instagram, it's all good though. Right back at you. I mean, th- but that's the thing. It's good to see you in person, alive and animated. Exactly, one hundred percent. Yeah, you've had quite a set of success with this new song of yours, Paranormal. I'm so excited to talk about it. I have, and I'm excited to tell this story because it, the song is a long time kind of in the making, and so finally actually putting it out to the world, is uh, it's been interesting. Yeah, it's been super well received, and for those who haven't heard it, which seems to be a smaller and smaller number of people, we're going to play the acoustic version right now. your dreams away with expectations so high you're bound to fall the time it makes it hard to erase all the things that you like to change and it seems you're fear of people is getting in the way you tell me
Thank you so much for playing. Oh no, my pleasure. Thank you for uh, for listening and everybody listening. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to get to talk to you about this song in particular because I feel like lyrically and in your chord structure too, you tackle a lot of the uncertainty, a lot of the feeling of instability that I think a lot of us have been struggling with just in adulthood in general, but especially yep. over the course of the last 13, 14 months. Yeah. Uh, and so I was going to say, it's really funny uh, because again, the song was written um, uh, some years ago, like mm -hmm. before um, all of these things, the pandemic and everything happened, but it's like one of those things to where um, you've probably done this in, in your life and writing, like you sit a song down or you maybe play it live and stuff like that. Um, but it really doesn't hit you uh, until you've had like some time or revisit it or like find it again. And you're like, what in the world? Like I wrote that like stream of conscious. Uh, and it's actually relevant to like how I'm feeling and like all of the research and like I've been diving into stoicism and stuff like that. So it's just interesting. Yeah, I think you do a great job lyrically of highlighting the inner monologue that I think a lot of us have when we get quiet and mm. give ourselves time to th sit with our thoughts you know with the expectation so high you're bound to fall time will not fade or chase your dreams away those those lyrics tend to for me at least describe an inner monologue that i have when i let myself get quiet is that sort of where this song came from for you or how did it develop um so i uh in sort of a comedic fashion describe it as like the diary of being socially awkward right like if people know me they know that i'm outgoing um in a sense um and but like i'm always the person who is like oh i showed face at the party party's party's going it's jumping they don't need me so i'm gonna dip out like 10 15 minutes after i got here so uh, so that's what it's a, a lot of it uh sort of stemmed from it's just like my internal thoughts about myself and like progression and stuff like that but then like the second verse talks about um my friends say that i'm a ghost uh, because i can't like just stay here and like be in this moment because there's so many moments that are happening mm -hmm. yeah i think that that's a struggle for a lot of us who are doing a lot of things your life is very full right you have kids yep. Um, we talked about your stint as an adjunct professor, you have a job in digital media. Um, you know, you were like me in grad school for a really long time. So you have a lot of irons in the fire in addition to music, just lots of things yep. around you that are happening in lots of areas in which you're pouring yourself out. Um, is that part of the drive for you? Um, I would say yes. Um, I think the... Uh, also kind of part of the drive is like legacy for me. Like, what am I leaving behind? Like, what, what are the components of me um, that I can kind of leave behind and people can uh, sort of digest uh, for lack of a better term in their own way. And like, it can impact them in whatever moment they need to be impacted. Right. So. Yeah, you t and you talk about that in the song. If I could only help out somebody other than myself, I'd probably be more inclined to sleep at night. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that is so, people, again, people who know me know that I wake up at like three every morning. Um, and so like a lot of that is like created, like it's a uh, very philosophical creative ethos is like the, I, I say the highways of creativity are like less packed and less jammed at this time of day but like it's also like part of me to be like what can i be doing like how can i get like started sooner um before like so many demands come on to me yeah so does that allow you the time to sort of start your day slowly oh yes um because there's not every day that i just jump out into the gym like there are some days where i'm laying in a recliner like drinking coffee watching youtube like just to kind of get the juices flowing <laughs> We need that time. I think one thing that a lot of us realized in the pandemic, and you and I were sort of talking about this, was how badly we all needed recovery time. Mm. How badly we all needed time to be still. Because society doesn't allow that. It's not cool or chic on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok to talk about needing rest. But we all do. And I think what's glorified is the hustle. 
And I mean, you you know, that's the first I, line of your chorus. Don't stay too long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that, like, it, it, I think, oh, man, like, so many people have talked about this, like, the stillness. And, like, uh, I think Kevin Hart even recently talked about it to where he realized that he was, um, he was married to his career, but dating his family. Uh, mm. And so, like, that is, like, big because he was, like, He's like, my family knew that I'd be home Monday through Thursday. And then like on the weekends, um, like I, I would be out working. And he was like, but then if I think about it, he's like the weekends are when like the magic happens. Like people are laying around their PJs or just like enjoying and like existing and stuff like that. So I think that like the pandemic kind of did that for everybody. Like um, I don't have to drive an hour and a half now into work um, and like, I can kind of be here and like take my son to wherever he needs to go and stuff like that and not be like oh we can't do this because it's too late or it's too early or whatever so yeah so you you had the time to sort of reconnect with your family oh yeah 100 percent. we're super connected now super connected <laughs> is that a good thing quincy <laughs> <laughs> yes of course it is it's definitely yeah <laughs> sometimes it's great sometimes i wonder um yeah i, I, well, I mean it's funny yeah it's funny because I, I mean like we talked about it and it kind of jokes about it a little bit but like having to like sort of explain away the noise right like like asking for permission is like something that like i don't think that we truly have to do i think part of that's still like our ego um like kind of like pulling at us but like one thing that was revealed is like we're all in this situation like you said your dog like i have people who i'm on calls with their kids like shoving jars of play-doh in their face like while they're like i try to have a serious like this meeting like kids you know they don't care they're like i my needs need to be met right now but like so i think it's uh, kind of leveling the playing field and it's all about balance in, in the end so yeah i think it did pull back the curtain on the illusion of professionalism that all of us try and put forth into the world like oh no i have it all together i'm fully cool and collected everything is great and you're like how and i feel like that was the great myth of adulthood for a long time that we're slowly starting to dismantle it's this idea that we're the only ones walking around who don't have it going on i mean you ask in the song like everyone has gone crazy i can't be the only one noticing <laughs> and I, I feel like that is sort of the observation that a lot of us have is you get to adulthood and you're like i don't know what's going on I don't know what's happening. Does everybody else know what's happening? How is that possible? How did, like, what class in school did I not take? Which boat did I miss? And, you know, over the course of the pandemic, I think what I hear you saying is that you've you've seen those walls slowly start to crumble and the illusion has been shattered and you realize that you're not the only one getting Play-Doh shoved in your face. Like, that's everybody. <laughs> Look at what we're doing now, right? Like, so if you think of, like, how media has changed over the time, like, what the pandemic did was reveal that like we are all on a level playing field right so whether you are you know hosting this show podcast and you're just little old you in dallas texas right um you have the same power and the same sort of platform as somebody hosting something on iheart right because when this pandemic happened we're all on zoom meetings we're all at home like we're all kids running around and stuff like that and so like um and even like if you look at the focus on like mental wellness and stuff like that like during this time like people were admitting like i don't have it figured out like these are like super powerful like potentially like how they portray themselves right but they're like no i i don't know i i don't know <laughs> yeah i feel like there's definitely been a lot of i don't know um <laughs> and i and what i wonder and what i hear you sort of pondering yourself is was there always a lot of i don't know and we just weren't comfortable saying it or has the pandemic unearthed a lot of i don't know what do you think mm -hmm. Here we go with the, the great philosophical debate. Um, I you think get two always... people with advanced degrees together, Quincy, and this is the way it's going to go down. <laughs> I think there was always, I don't know. Uh, I think it was masked um, is the problem. Uh, and I think, again, like we talked back to a lot of this song, like the world, like when I say the world's going to, the world will bring you down. Like it's like, hey, they're going to figure out, they're going to figure it everything that you're about out like if you stay too long so if you just give them like hints uh, of whatever like you're going to be able to be this 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 sort of mask of whatever you are yeah 
I love that you talk about that. I think that's such an important realization that we're all a little bit afraid somebody's going to unearth the truth about us or we're all a little bit afraid that we're going to be called out or discovered. Yeah. You know, that all of our insecurities are actually hiding in plain sight. And so it was really funny because I wrote this song before I understood what imposter syndrome was. And like once like somebody realized or like, you know, brought that into my plane of existence, I was like, oh, my God, this is what I've been struggling with this whole time, like worthiness and stuff like that. I had no idea that there was a word or a phrase for it. It's so was that a constant struggle for you before? And you just put a name to it and we're like, oh, this is so great that, I, I mean, not great that everybody struggles with it, obviously, but great that it's not abnormal. Great that it is a thing that happens so frequently that there are ways in which people know how to combat it. Yeah, no, it, yeah, 1000% again, because like even growing up, like it's not something that we like thought about. Like it was like, um, and like a lot of the stuff that we grew up with was around bravado and like not like being vulnerable. Like I think vulnerability um, became like the forefront, like more recently, like within the past 10 years. But I think um, sort of even wrestling with those emotions, it was, it was like always, I'm the best, I can do this, I'm like the greatest and stuff like that. And there was never like, uh well how did I get here why am I here like why do people trust me like and stuff like that and that that questioning so but it was always there (laughs) yeah you ask a lot of these questions in the song did you write these lyrics in one go or was this like multiple nights of stream of consciousness uh so officially I have never written the song like it was it was uh, it's kind of one of those stream of consciousness things to where like it happened um, and I was like wow like the, even like, like thinking about chord structure and stuff like that I don't write chords like that I don't do like any kind of like a lot of like jazzy type runs and like walk downs and stuff like that and so like when it happened it was purely organic and I was like wow that's awesome so <laughs> and then I just have been playing it ever since that's awesome. Yeah, you have a lot of non-key chords in this song. We're gonna get a little, we're gonna get a little theory and nerdy on our listeners here. Um, everything in music usually happens along, or at least everything in Western music usually happens along the lines of a diatonic scale, right? But you throw in a lot of chords here that aren't within the scale. Yes, um, that is because of how I learned music, honestly. And so I, I play one hundred percent by ear. I know no music theory. Um, and so, um, scales, chord structure, uh, I literally just play what sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it sounds like what you end up doing then is playing what serves the song. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I, I if you ask, uh, my current friend and producer, uh, he, um, will say the same thing that it's just like, it doesn't make any sense, but it works because there is a song that I'm working on that has a key change from the verse to the chorus. Like every verse and chorus has like that particular key change. And he's like, I don't know how you made this work. So like it's one of those things. Alana Smurset does that in Head Over Feet. It's it's okay. You should tell him you just yeah. like it works. It's been done. It's fine. <laughs> That's great. I think I think that we as people can get formulaic in our writing. Um, and formulaic in our living, right? Like you talk about Kevin Hart being married to his career and dating his family. We fall into these patterns. And I think as a songwriter, you can easily fall into those patterns, whether you know theory or not. Yeah. You know, you can sit into comfortable chord progressions or you can be like, oh, I really like playing these chords. So I'll just play them in succession and just write different lyrics over them all the time and, you know, change up <laughs> the strumming pattern. But it sounds like you allowed yourself with this song to really explore and get creative. And just play yeah, what felt right. 100%. Um, but there's still some sort of, uh, yeah, no, yeah, I would say 100%. I was going to say there is some, some sort of structure or like theory. Uh, I really love A minors for whatever reason. Uh, and so like, there's a lot of A minor elements like in a lot of my music, but like the, I feel like the, um, the minor tones like fit with my voice well like just because I'm trying to mask obviously that like the weakness in my voice and stuff like that and so like uh yeah um but then like kind of mixing that dichotomy of the minor chords with like messaging right like it's the messaging doesn't have to be said uh and trying to create like a balance that way with like my lack of theory if that makes sense 
Yeah. I like that you, so a couple things. One, look at you talking about, oh, I use the cord to mask the weakness in my voice. But that's the imposter syndrome peeking through. Yeah. I think we tell ourselves a lot of the time as musicians, as songwriters, as humans, that we're weak in certain areas and we have to hide that rather than stepping into it. I mean, as, as somebody who, we talked about opera offline, right? Um, as yeah. somebody who studied opera, I think there are times where I hear pop singers and I'm like, oh, that's an interesting vocal technique, but it works for them. Yeah. Like Adele has made an entire career out of sounding unique and different. And some could perceive that that's as a weakness. Like if she took that into a music school, people would be like, whoa, we need to talk about your transition from chest voice to head voice. Like, <laughs> we really need to talk about that. But because of the way she navigates it because of how well she knows herself she's managed to craft that into a unique sound that really resonates with so many people so sometimes our weakness is our strength mm, look at you dropping gems dropping gems <laughs> but also i, love I it. So, I mean, do you find that that's true for you, though, that you fall into these spaces where, you know, a certain vocal turn feels comfortable or a certain chord like A minor feels comfortable? And so you sort of build yourself around it because that is the thing that feels authentic to you? Yeah, I would say that. Like, because, I mean, even like thinking about like my song catalog. um, So I know just enough theory to be dangerous and like, arrangements of chords uh and so like a lot of suspended a lot of minors um not really major um just because like I, that's not the the sort of emotions like and thought patterns that i typically evoke honestly like just because like my train of thought is awfully often like intrinsic and reflective and so like i feel like that those chords like if you even look at like some of the classics like if they're in that realm i'm like all right cool they inspire you to think and so it's like a soundtrack to your thought process yeah for sure and i think sometimes those minor tonalities or the tonalities that have suspensions or those sorts of things because they're a little bit different they catch your ear differently and they force you to listen yeah and my favorite tool to use dissonance like i love dissonance i love um sort of catching people off guard with like tones and like hey that shouldn't go together uh sort of thing or that's a little off but i like it i don't know what it is so is that always something that you've done as a musician Yes, because it's always something that I've liked. I mean, I grew up obviously like around the Nirvana times and stuff like that. But like even like younger than that, like um, distorted, loud dissonance um, in, in being, I guess, essentially, for lack of better words, the awkward, like they're just being different. Uh, and standing out like in a world of much of the same is kind of like where I'm like, oh, yes, I love that. I don't know why, but I love that. That's the flip side of your line, right? You say act normal and they won't notice you. Yep. But if you allow yourself to be abnormal, they do notice. Yep, exactly. And that becomes, it sounds like a good thing. I mean, this we talked about it at the beginning. The song has, you released it a little over a month ago? Yep. And it already has 4,000 streams on Spotify. That's huge. I appreciate everybody for listening. I appreciate everybody who sent me a DM that says, like, this is awesome. Like, don't stop doing music. You should keep going. And I'm like, awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. I think sometimes people fail to realize how much those messages matter. Yes. Uh, And I will say, because I've started producing content in other veins, I'm like, this is kind of the advice that I give, like, people who are, like, thinking about producing content and doing these things. Like, I was there's one of you out there somebody like just imagine there's a twin there's a double like of you and they're going through the exact same thing and even if it's just one like in a sea of like multitudes of millions i was like if you touch that one person somewhere down the line at some point um that's all that matters like so you're just doing this for this one person out there who you're potentially going to touch so yeah if i could help out somebody other than myself right yeah yeah that's so beautiful. So you said you never wrote this song down. No, 
uh it was again one of those stream of consciousness things and it's like um it's a perfect storm of mindset maybe situation um and things like that to where like it just came out and i just stuck with what came out yeah that's really beautiful and obviously these are relevant thoughts it sounds like this, these are things that were kicking around in your head for quite some time before you finally put them to music I think it's thematic. Uh, I think it's phases. Um, and I think it depends on situations in my life, right? So it could be uh, whatever I was going through, maybe with school, uh, whatever I was going through, maybe with work and not feeling sort of validated um, when like around the time the song came out or was the song was sort of written. Uh, but I think one thing that helps it to stick and make sure that it's not one of those ones that you find on your phone later and be like, I, I can't really, I can't don't remember writing this. Um, but it's like, uh, it's, it's a reoccurring theme. So mm. it was like, all right, cool. Like that is one that is going to be powerful at some point. Right. But I just have to like keep that in the, in the whole pack of what is me. So, so what inspired you to finally get into the studio and put this down? Um, a lot of, um, like we talked about kind of the stoicism, like component of it, right? Like I was in a position now to where I could like financially, um, uh, put the pieces together, right. To like, Hey, pay for studio time. But then like, honestly, I have friends who are like producing things right now and like, they're sending me stuff and I'm like inspired, like not stuff. Well, I guess it's out now, but like it's stuff that they were working on. And I'm like, dude, you did this. And he's like, yeah, I did it with, you know, this producer or whatever. And I was like, well, I know that guy. He like worked on our stuff. And I was like, how much was it? And I like, just asked me a question. Um, but sort of in, in being inspired by other people's creativity, I was like, dude, like, it, like it's not a, a slight, but like if you can do this and it sounds amazing. Um, and I know that I have like the content and like uh, I really got tired of this being a live show song like mm. i was like this is only like something that people hear live i was like i just need to lay it down because um again we're going back to legacy and like it's only going to exist in my mind or to the people who have been to the show if i don't actually document it somewhere uh so just friends inspiration me um finding value within myself to be like i need to document these things and like i'm um, having kids like i want them to be like oh my dad wrote this song and and stuff like that and like have kind of a an album or a catalog of things to remember me with and buy and to continuously enjoy and like live through like long after I'm gone so yeah I love that you talk about releasing something as leaving a part of yourself out there you know I think that there are a lot of artists and we hear from them sometimes on the podcast who feel stuck by imposter syndrome who are like oh you know what, what do I have to contribute that hasn't already been contributed all of these songwriters mm. have such really important, thoughtful things to say. I feel like my composition isn't nearly as important or thoughtful. But I think that that cancer of comparison can really leak into our subconscious and prevent us from doing things that we're called to do. But also, I think you highlight the really important message that even if one person hears it, the truth is, when we release songs as musicians, not to get morbid, but if we release a song and it's on all the platforms, if something happened to us tomorrow, that would still be there. Yes. Yeah, and no, that's exactly, and like, that's the whole idea behind stoicism and stuff like that. And even like, I'll impromptu um, pull this up, right? So this is a, um, you see all the little black dots. Uh, it's kind of a reflection of, uh, your mortality in a sense. So every black box is a week that you've lived. Uh, and so currently on there are like 39 rows of black boxes because I'm 39 years old. And so mm -hmm. it's just kind of, um, as you start to like think about your, um, your how many days you have left essentially. And this kind of puts everything in perspective. Like you're looking at this thing, you're checking out these black boxes. You're like, man, I don't have that much time. Like, you know, so I have to do these things to like make sure that all the pieces and components that I want um, in my life are in place and that like I can, yeah, so. So for you, that sense of urgency is really inspiring. Oh, yes. Um, because I don't want there to be anything um, sort of in my brain because I can't, I can't take it with me. People can't enjoy it. Um, I want all those things to kind of be left behind. And so like, it's, it's kind of like that drive to like, 
push um, things out there, whether it's content, thought leadership, like writing a book or doing whatever, right? Like just to push all the things out to where like I leave myself and I, a sports analogy, right? Like the coaches are like, you got to leave it all out there. Like you have to leave all your guts on the field, right? And so that's kind of kind of where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. So you're thinking about leaving it all on the field. Yep. 100%. And it is a way of stretching our mortality, too, though. There's that great Shakespearean line at the end of Sonnet 18 where he says, you know, so long as men can breathe, their eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. When we, yeah, when we put our thoughts out there and we put our songs out there, it's a, it's a kind of immortality. And it's a kind of constantly contributing to the external network of knowledge because people are going to discover it. They're going to think about it. And maybe you lead them to a realization that allows them to put out something even better than what you put out. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, So I talked about the waking up at three in the collective conscious, right? Like, so I think that all these thoughts and things that we have, like all these emotions, all these great masterpieces of art are part of like sort of a collective creative like consciousness, right? But like, um, when we are able to pull those thoughts down and put them into reality, maybe it was a thought that somebody left with and like they weren't able to like put into action. And so like you were kind of like, oh, I caught this little fish uh, swimming by in the stream and I'm going to like cook it, like put it out for somebody to, to, to get nutrients from essentially. So. Hmm. So do you see the universe that way as all of these ideas floating around and some people are some people can catch them, but sometimes they miss. And so the idea comes to you. Yeah, universe, um, like the, as far as like thoughts, ideas, emotions, um, even emotions, like even like uh, if we think about like things that people are like, oh man, he was destined to do like, or like um, you can kind of see like leadership traits or char characteristics in children uh, or even the idea that people are old souls, right? Like, so where, where are all those thoughts and concepts and like uh, sort of character traits being pulled from, so. Hmm, that's interesting. So you think they're being pulled from this collective unconscious? I do. That's a really beautiful idea that we're all pulling from the same source. Yes. And existing uh, in the yeah, same I space. Yeah, 100%. And like, it's kind of one of those, that, that's again, one of those things that I'm constantly pondering and like, how can I um, continue to either contribute uh, or decide what to uh, pull down uh, just being introspective and, and, and listening um, um, to those signals when they happen instead of the imposter syndrome being like, no, you can't do that. You're not worthy. You're, you're this and you're that. So. Yeah. I've heard friends describe that concept as spiritual warfare, like mm. the negative voices that come into our brain and tell us, no, stop. Yeah. You're not yeah. good enough because that prevents us from contributing to that collective subconscious that you're talking about this like collective of ideas and of thoughts and emotions it prevents us from contributing to that and it prevents us from regeneration because when we pull something down we reframe it in our own way and then we put it back out there right so yep. it's more cyclical than it is parasitic and I think it, like if we were to strip it down completely basic and you're sitting in a meeting, right? Like you have this idea that could drive your company forward or you have this idea that can drive your school forward. Um, maybe there's there's crap going on in your school to where it's just like um, there needs to be change. But like if you sit there and you don't say anything and the meeting is over and your moment has passed, then like nothing happens, right? So they just keep continuing sort of repetitive six cycles um if you will uh and because you didn't speak up and then and now you're left with regret remorse man i should have said something man i could have done this man i had this great idea uh and it it staggers innovation like so yeah and even if you don't think it's a great idea it can spur somebody else onto a better idea mm -hmm. it can 100%. be the stair step in the process right yep and if you don't contribute then you become the missing rung on the ladder yeah. Butterfly effect. <laughs> yes. We're getting super deep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I could do this all day because these are the conversations again that I have uh, with myself. And, and it's also part of like even my songwriting stuff to where it's like one of those things where I'm like, all right, this is where my mind's at. Like, are people going to be in a space to where they understand? Um, and I had to kind of get out of that because it's like people 
messages will reach people when they need to be reached. Um, like using the metaphor of sitting in a sermon and the pastor talking and it's like, man, he's talking straight to me. Like I feel this, like, and so it's one of those things where like the message doesn't have to make sense to you when you put it out. You don't have to wonder where it's going to land, um, but people will receive the message when they are open to reception. I love that you say that and that you talk about that. Um, I think that one of the faults we have sometimes as creatives is trying to control what happens to our art after we let it go. Yeah. I want you to feel this way about it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, the truth is we can talk about the impetus for it. We can talk about where it came from for us. Yep. But ideally, we don't talk at all about what happens after we release it. Or we don't have enough knowledge to talk intelligently about it because we don't know. Until somebody came, I, comes up to us and says, I pulled this out of the ether. Like, I pulled this out of the collective network of ideas, and this is what I got from it. Well, and I think that that's where a lot of it, especially as songwriters, the anxiety comes from. Uh, because we don't know. And, like, when we don't know, like, um, because at the forefront of releasing these things, like, we were clinging to hope. Like, man, I hope people feel this way about it. And, like, there's expectation attached to that hope. Um, but then when you don't hear any feedback, there's the fear, right? The fear sets in. You have like this expectation that's attached to the fear of like what people are thinking. Like, what do they think about it? Like nobody said anything. Like nobody shared it. I haven't seen it on anybody's story. Like there's no TikTok video made of it. Like, so it's, it's one of those things. Well, and there's, I think the other thing is there is this myth in the industry that if it doesn't generate attention within a specific window of time, it's no longer valid. And what I hear you saying mm. is the opposite of that. Like it can sit latent for years and someone can discover it and suddenly it can be a relevant message. Yeah. One thousand. Like, yeah, art is not invalid because it didn't receive a reaction immediately. Well, I think that like one of the kind of struggles that we have, like as, as far as being like musician, like type artists is the fact that like, uh, like sometimes the music according to external factors doesn't appreciate right if you look at art like art appreciates over time becomes like vintage or whatever what have you right like with music I don't feel like appreciates uh, in the same fashion because you are now like in the industry we're tied in like it's harder for us to break through the noise based on like pop and like short-term attention spans everybody's like now your song has to be there's no six minute songs anymore there's no led zeppelin there's like you have to make it three minutes and 32 seconds or radio's not gonna play it so except taylor swift and her 10 minute version of all too well yes <laughs> i love that though i love that there are artists who are starting to break through those walls that were imposed by the industry itself I love that there are people like Adele who are going, you know what, Spotify, I want you to play my songs in order because I ordered this album for a reason. <laughs> you know, like don't automatically shuffle my stuff. Yeah. I want you to let my fans hear it in order because I put it in order for a reason. Or people like Taylor Swift who are like, you know what, I will. I will release the 10 minute version of this song. Well, even me, like I've been going back and forth uh, and this is a healthy debate that me and my friend slash producer have is nobody likes albums anymore but i'm like no dude i want to release an album and he's like just release it in a bunch of singles like it, it's fine that's the way the industry is going i'm like no i want a body of work because i want people to whether they do or not like unpackage it and sit with the whole thing and be like all right cool like this is a a diary or a picture into a time in somebody's life like uh and you can kind of see growth development love hate passion whatever it is like you like i still sit with whole albums like i literally have not a listened to the new john mayer because i don't want it to influence anything that i'm doing but like when i am ready to like listen to it like i want to like sit with the whole album i kind of want to like sit on the couch or in the recliner and listen to it one day and then like be in a different space to be like all right does the music inspire invoke those same feelings in a different space but that people may think that's purist but like that's just how i still sit with music well, and you hear it in a different context when you hear it as a whole. Like, mm -hmm. not to say that each song doesn't have wisdom on its own, but I think there is something with sitting with a whole chapter of somebody's life. And that's what an album becomes, right? Is a whole chapter with, like you said, ups, downs, you know, thoughts, feelings that occur over a period of time that 
all go together, even if they're snapshots of feelings and moments. It's like, I mean, we call it an album, right? It's a series of pictures. It's a series yeah. of emotional, mental pictures of a time in someone's life. And when we sit with that as a whole, we start to feel it differently than we do when we hear each individual song. And I think that is great that you reference it as chapters because like you wouldn't go and pick up uh, like I have like Ursula Le Guin, who's a sci-fi fantasy person. Like you wouldn't go pick up like the, the Wizard of Earthsea and like read like chapter 12 and then be like, all right, cool. I'm done with the book. I understand it. Uh, I may come back in a year and read chapter eight, like to figure out what's going on. But <laughs> It's true though. I, you know, we, and maybe this is the fault of the industry. And maybe this is the fault of our insecurities as songwriters that we allow ourselves to capitulate to this or to cow to this expectation that we just keep putting things out in smaller and smaller pieces to cater to a shrinking attention span. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that in my soul. Like, I think that like we have, like, again, I, I think it keeps going back to like that, the whole, um, self-validation and the imposter syndrome thing right because now we're like um tied to that expectation of what people feel um about it uh versus like how like we want to control the narrative of like um and put it out the way we want to um and not care about like other how people feel about it just like hey it's cathartic to us we've released it out uh, and now the burdens of whatever project you've been working on, whether it's the writing, the stress of uh, life in, in general, um, are gone now. And like I've, I've, I've internalized those feelings and I've let them go. Yeah, I think giving ourselves permission to let go is huge. Yeah, yes. And giving, and in, in a way, that's the most beautiful part of the musician listener relationship is trusting the listener to do whatever the right thing for them is with our music how ooh, that trusting the listener to do whatever the right thing is uh i think that is major sorry i'm sitting with that for a second <laughs> just because i think that like um that relies on us relinquishing control and i think that like it's hard for us to relinquish that control because we don't want the art to be mismanaged um and based on our perception but that implies that there is a mismanagement and what is that mismanagement right like let's pick it apart you know both of us have extensive experience in english let's yep. define our terms right um <laughs> i think that that we have all these fears and what i love about this song lyrically and what i love about this song tonally is that you you allow yourself to go there you probe those thoughts you don't stop at oh yeah this is the thing that i always wonder you allow yourself to go down the rabbit hole like everyone has gone crazy i can't be the only one noticing um you know you tell me that i need something but you don't know exactly what that is <laughs> i tell you that i have no clue but i can tell that i don't need this like those you allow yourself to go down those separate rabbit holes and i think yeah there is this implication that art can be mismanaged and what is the mismanagement of it because it's not going to speak to everybody so if and they that's subjective right like so if they close out a window is that the mismanagement of your song maybe not because maybe the more that they listen to it the more it's going to grate on them and then it's going to become a negative force in their life mm. and maybe something about it does speak to them but they don't open it for six months six years decades um yeah like there are songs i feel like i went through a period where every pandora station i had regardless of how esoteric it was cold place the scientist would come on oh, that's a great song <laughs> i would be like are you kidding me i hear the song everywhere what in the world is going on and i would just get irritated with it and it didn't matter how many times i thumbs down the scientist no hate to coldplay i love coldplay but no matter how many times i thumbs down the song it would still reappear. And I was like, what is going on? Like the universe is chasing me with this song. And there was one day where I was sitting in my office while Pandora was playing. And, you know, you hear the chorus, nobody said it was easy. And I was like, oh, this is brilliant. But it took me like a year and a half to feel that way about that song. 
A Rush and, of Blood to the Head was fantastic album. Yes, but there are people listening now who are like, I hate Coldplay. <laughs> you know, and there are people okay. who are listening who are like, I hate John Mayer. And, you know, maybe there are people who hate listen to this podcast and are like, oh, my God, Emily, these discussions. But there are certainly people who hate watch all of the things on YouTube because they leave their they leave their footprints in the comments and that's their legacy. Yeah. But I, I don't know that that's necessarily the mismanagement of art. I think they're just not ready for what they're hearing or what they're hearing isn't meant for them yet. And so, yeah, yeah, I think our trust as artists that the message that we put out there is going to reach the right person at the right time. And that the right time might not be right away. That takes a lot of faith. Or that you aren't in the right place to see um, the impact, right? Because I think they have that like documentary about the guy searching for Sugar Land, Sugar Man or something like that, where he didn't know that he was uh, a big, huge star in like Africa. Like he had released music here, but like he didn't know that like in Africa, like they loved him and like he was this huge star. And like years went by in his life where he didn't know that he didn't have that validation. Now today we have analytics. I get Spotify. I get like Apple Music. They're sending me like, "Hey, nobody's listening to your stuff." Or "Hey, you had like so many listeners and stuff like that." So we're inundated with data, which I think is kind of dangerous to to our process. Well, especially because it allows us to believe that those numbers are the things that validate our art. Yes, that's the narrative. That's not the narrative. Like, but... It's the narrative that has been perpetuated or yep. the narrative we have allowed ourselves to internalize. Think same thing the reward with you. System. Right. Well, and the same with you have to cut your song down to three and a half minutes. But the truth is, and you know this, right? I don't have to lecture you on Spotify, but our listeners might not know this. Guys... If you give us a thousand fourteen hundred listens on Spotify, it amounts to literal pennies. <laughs> I think I got like uh, my last royalty report. Uh, I had like eight streams, and I was like, "Man, I got six cents. It was fantastic." <laughs> like that's that's the validation that all of those numbers translate to. Yeah. And a capitalist society is six cents success. But yeah, and I, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I think like um, the other thing is the reward system as far as gold, platinum, all those like sort of benchmarks. That's what we're comparing to. And then like, hey, I've never gotten a Grammy, like so I can't be a legit musician, or I don't have a blue check. Am I validated as a musician? Like, does this blue check or just do these sort of uh, social proof points like make me a musician? sort of thing yeah absolutely yeah the validation system is strange and the truth is and i think i mean please correct me if this doesn't speak for you but as a musician when i get a message on any social media platform or if somebody comes up to me after a show and tells me a song spoke to them that is worth way more than a thousand streams yes well yeah and i would like not even at a show was like noodling around on the guitar um at like a friend's house and it was like i have like a it was like a gypsy like backyard shanty sort of situation going on um, but they literally told me like one person out of like all the years i've been playing music understood um they were like man your falsetto is is amazing and i was like first of all you know what falsetto is but second of all like i've been trying to implement that like i pride myself in that and like this was years ago and i still am like holding on to that that value like oh man somebody thinks my falsetto is awesome <laughs> no it's it matters so much though i had somebody come up to me at a show and tell me that i reminded them of ani defranco who's a personal songwriting hero of mine and i was like like i can die in this moment i can die happy right mm. now um, the idea that anybody has connected the two of us thematically or lyrically or musically at all. Wow. And yeah. it's it's funny because for them, it was probably a passing comment. Yeah. But and I was going to say, so then, then I have a question for you. I'm going to flip the interview around. Uh-oh. Do, do you have uh, trouble when people are asking you, so who do you sound like or what's your genre and i'm like dude i don't know like so i would love to get your take on it. <laughs> no. so 
So what do you tell them, Quincy, when people ask you that? What do you tell them? I, <laughs> I just throw out a bunch of like popular people that like I like. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like a little Dave, a little John, a little Jack Johnson sort of stuff. But it's hard to categorize because I'm driven by funk. Like I grew up listening to Cameo, Parliament Funkadelic. Like um, there's some Twisted Sister in my history, ACDC, like all those. So I, I don't know what to tell them. Yeah, I usually I usually call out acoustic jazz pop. Um, but I, I hesitate to compare myself to artists. And this is, again, the imposter syndrome, right? A, because I'm like, oh, but they're so much better. And B, because there's a voice inside my head that's like, oh, but if this person doesn't like that artist, I have shut I them like down. Yeah. Right. So um, I usually say something like Sarah Bareilles and hold my breath. <laughs> Or I find some obscure, like, Laura Nero, right? Some obscure reference where they're like, I've never heard of that person. I'll have to go check them out. But I'll look up your music. Where are you? And that, you know, helps. But The obscurity. Oh, I need to do that. That is, ooh, okay. Well, because the, the flip side, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, is that a lot of the time, and you played live a lot. We talked about the circle of, you know, going to breweries and playing covers and, you know, combining that with your own music and being like, see, I am a songwriter. What do you think? Um and how that process can be difficult. But one of the things that people do for me there is they come up and they tell me who they think I sound like. Like, oh, you remind me so much of, you know, yeah. insert artist here. And, I've you know, different artists on the podcast feel different ways about that. Some people are like, I love being compared to X artist. And other people are like, I hate it when they compare me to this person. But my follow-up question is usually, oh, do you like them? Ooh, that's a good one. Because if they're comparing you to somebody that they like, that's a compliment. That's a good one. Like, Even I if I crows. don't think that's a compliment. I got Counting Crows for a long time, and I was like, dude, I do not sound like the dude from Counting Crows. <laughs> but I was like, maybe they really like Counting Crows, so all right, cool. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> do you think it's the dreadlocks? I... Oh, well, that's a whole other conversation of comparing me based on like race and look and like, yeah, that's, yeah. Well, but I mean, often, so I get Sarah Bareilles a lot because we both have big noses and long brown hair. And I, I mean, we, voice, we do triggered. sound similar, but people are like, you look like her. Have people ever told you you look like her? I felt triggered. I was like, dude, that guy, he can't really sing that well. Like, <laughs> And so I thought people were like, oh, well, you can kind of sing. Your songwriting's decent. Like, but like, and so I was like, but I just never like was a fan of oh. the Counting Crows. But see, Colorblind was one of those songs that sort of changed my life. Mm. And that's a Counting Crows song. Long December. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Like, I was going to say, now I've gotten like even yeah. more into it. But like even, like even if somebody were to ever compare like a female vocalist to like Macy Gray, like only thing that I knew back in the day was a pop thing like I the stumble like say I try to... goodbye and I choke yeah. right yeah <laughs> but at the same time like if you listen to like people who respect her body of work like Amir uh from uh Questlove from the Roots right like he's like oh she's genius so I went back and was listening to that stuff I'm like oh actually wow okay I can see that like I totally understand it now but like it's just maybe the lens that I was looking at it through uh was was crucial I mean, you know, this perspective is everything. Yep, yep. So if they're bringing the love of Counting Crows to that compliment, if they're like, oh, you remind me so much Ooh. of Counting Crows, and they have six Counting Crows CDs in their CD changer, or, and you know, Counting for, Crows tattoo. for people who are listening who aren't from the 90s, um, if, <laughs> if they have a playlist on Spotify that is full of Counting Crows music, that is the height of compliment. That is the best thing they can yep. possibly say to you. Whereas, I like that. Yeah. yeah, whereas if they turn off Mr. Jones every time it comes on the radio, maybe you're like, oh, back yeah. to the drawing board. But then is it back to the drawing board? Like, I That's mean, exactly. Maybe, maybe that music is just not from, meant for that listener. Yeah, yeah. And I think a uh, part of that, like, again, like we talked about um, uh, that comparison, it depends on like how you frame out your set too. Like if it's bumped up against this cover song and then you immediately put your song against it, and they're, they're automatically comparing it, right? 
they're like, no, what is this thing that you just put into like a song that I love? Like you just put it next to like a song that I love. And so it's also that too. So that's interesting. Well, I mean, I do a pop medley and I tell everybody at the beginning to just set their indie crowd on the center of the table in front of them and just sacrifice it. Just recognize that you're going to hear songs that you're going to know the words to and you're going to feel ashamed that you know the words. And that's okay. Backstreet like Boys. I still want you to – now see, I love the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> so for I me – I just triggered you with that because I know that about you. So <laughs> – <laughs> These are psychological games we're playing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you say that, but see, again, if I compare people to the Backstreet Boys, I'm not looking at their dancing. I'm thinking about the times that I've heard the acapella. Like mm. I would compare the Backstreet Boys to Boys to Men. Are the two the same? No. But vocally, there are a lot of the same things going on. You have the interplay of you know the baritone part and the tenor part, and the way uh. that those kind of align. And the way that each voice is allowed to shine and step out of the melodic line and step back into it. And I think that's brilliant. So I will be 100% honest with you. Like I came out of like the choir realm of like in school, like all the way growing up. And so like, I never ever really saw like boy bandic groups as like boy bands. I was like, oh, that's harmonies. Like the choral aspects of it, like just even the fact that they had a baritone or they had the bass like that low especially boys to men like when he was hitting those lows i was like oh as a baritone bass i felt represented right like so well you can't do that front man like solo usher type artist right well and i think what i've really appreciated as like lower voiced (laughs) artists step into the forefront or you know how many first sopranos do you hear in pop music you don't maybe ariana grande mariah carey right like that's that's first yeah but most of her hits are lower Mm, true Yeah. So, you know, it's all about a we could delve deeply into the issues of representation, (laughs) right? And talk about how the different voice parts are represented and what that says about society. But I think it speaks to the fact that you get excited when you hear really great lower voiced artists because you feel heard. I get excited when I hear really great higher voiced artists because I'm like, oh, I'm heard. And I get excited when I hear really great piano because I feel heard. Mm. You probably get excited, as evidenced by John Mayer, by really great guitar. You feel heard. Yes. And so there's something in everybody's music for someone. And that's the I... trust. It's trusting that the music is going to reach that person. And I feel like when we change our marketing efforts to that, when we're thinking about reaching the one person for whom it's meant, like that's targeted yep. marketing. Yeah. I love that you sat on this song for a while because it sounds like you were sort of listening to the universe and saying, okay, when... When is this social message that I hear so loudly in my head going to be relevant for the world? And maybe that was a super conscious choice and maybe it wasn't. But you did manage to time this in a way that everybody is asking these questions. Yeah, no. And so that part was slightly strategic in the sense that like we went through all of last year and people were questioning their beliefs, their values, like what really mattered. Um, And like I knew that I had this thing that sort of fell in line with that questioning. So that was another part of the motivation where I was like, man, people need this for whatever reason, like maybe not people, but like someone needs this. And like, it's kind of like how we're feeling at the, at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of that disconnect was stepping out of that place where we were constantly inundated with social messaging because we weren't in society. Yeah. And, you know, there've been SNL skits about getting back out into the world and trying to figure out how to socialize like a normal person. So I feel like now we are all asking ourselves those questions and saying those things to ourselves, giving ourselves that pep talk, like act normal, everything will be fine. Well, just act normal. Not only that, like, I think like if we look at like organizational structures, like even where you work, like we're realizing that people are we're more human like we're stepping into like the humanity aspect of it rather than the produce produce and take sort of uh aspect yeah i love that you talk about that and i think that you guys get pretty human in the production of this song was that an intentional choice when you sat down with your producer were you guys like we need to keep this relatable uh yeah so acoustic and uh, real Oh, no, that was kind of the simple fact that, like, I had played it so long acoustic that I'd never heard it full production. Like, I'd never thought about, like, other people or other harmonies existing in the song. And, you know, as a songwriter, like, when you write these things and you have to perform them solo, and it's like, man, I wish people could hear these other things that are in my head. Like, there's a harmony here. There's this, like, this moving part, and there's this thing, and there's, like, this, this uh, like, if you hear in the vocals towards the end, there's, like, this jazzy sort of, like sort of snappy thing where they're like snapping back and stuff and I'm like um I wanted it to feel like that I was having this conversation in my head but that people were like 
in my head with me and so it's like hey don't stay too long but it's like if you're gonna stay there then they're gonna notice you and it's like oh well don't stay too long and it's like this thing and it's back and forth so yeah uh yeah it, it was unconscious in the sense that we didn't like plan it out but at the same time like we knew like I knew like as a songwriter I mean there's things that like I could never convey on stage because I've always been playing it by myself. That's so cool. I'm so excited for people to hear the fully produced version of this. I, I'm so grateful for you and for your friendship and for the energy you put out in the world. Like, you're just such a good human. And it's such a joy to see your face. I miss playing shows with you. I miss seeing you on the scene. I look forward to seeing you more frequently now that the world is beginning to safely open up. And yeah. For sure, I would say the same. And I think that, like, I don't think you've known this or I've ever even, like, vocalized this, but, like, seeing you're very petite, if people don't know, seeing, like, this very petite girl carrying around this giant, like, massive gargantuan keyboard and being, like, so powerful uh, behind the piano, like, was truly inspirational. And I'm glad that, like, I think, I don't know how it happened, maybe a Ghost to Blind London showcase is where we first kind of met, but I am thankful for being on that showcase and actually, like, being friends with you, like, throughout the years. Right back at you. Thank you, man. That means a lot. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's always such an inspiration. And we run into each other at races because both of us are runners. Yes. So it's been so cool to see you in multiple worlds of my life. I'm so grateful for your presence in the world. I'm so glad you're releasing new music. If people are listening and thinking, oh, my God, Quincy sounds amazing. Where can I find him? Where can I follow him? Where's the best place for people to catch you? I am everywhere at Quincy Forte. And yes, Forte is my real middle name. People often ask. Uh, My parents had some sort of foresight. Uh, But yes, my real middle name. So at Quincy Forte everywhere. And for people who aren't musicians who don't know how to spell it, that's Q-U-I-N-C-Y. And then yep. F-O-R-T-E is Forte. Yep. And if you're in Boston, I apologize. It's a C. It's not Quincy. Um, but it is like, that's how they pronounce the Cs apparently. So yeah, sorry. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. So yes, Quincy Forte on all social media. We'll have your gram linked in the show notes so that people can find you. And we'll link to your reverb page because that's where they can hear a lot of your stuff. And Perry Normal is going to be on our Spotify playlist, our Journey of a Song Spotify playlist. So people can find you there, but they can hear the fully produced version of the song right now. Would you like to introduce your song? Yes. So here for your ingestion is Perry Normal. So take it as you will. The time will not fade or chase your dreams away with expectations so high. You're bound to fall. The time it makes it hard to erase all the things that you'd like to change. Your fear of people is getting in the way. You tell me that I need something, but you don't know exactly what that is. And I tell you that I have no clue, but I can tell.
Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of Journey of a Song featuring Quincy Forte and his song, Paranormal. To learn more about Quincy or to follow his musical journey, visit his official website at quincyfortemusic.com. That's Q-U-I-N-C-Y-F-O-R-T-E music.com. For behind-the-scenes glimpses and more about Journey of a Song, follow me on Instagram at at Music. That's at E-M-M-E-L-I-N-E music. Don't forget to check out my other show, Journey of an Artist, Sundays at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep Ellum Radio. Journey of a Song airs Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep Ellum Radio, and each episode is available as a podcast the very next day. Discover new music and hear fascinating stories with me, Emmeline, every Thursday night on Deep Ellum Radio. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to tune in next week. This is only the beginning, and I don't want you to miss a single minute of these inspiring conversations. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a song is worth a thousand stories. <laughs>